Did you know that in teams where men and women are equal, they're treated equally, they're paid equally, companies earn 41% more revenue? Did you know that racially diverse teams outperform non-diverse ones by 35%? And did you know that fewer CEOs are women than there are CEOs named David? Wow, that's pretty powerful. When a single name outnumbers an entire gender, it reveals a huge problem. So as you've probably guessed, we are talking about diversity in this week's episode. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Lena Patel Live. My name is Lena Patel, founder of Global Impact Systems, helping bring the sandbox to the boardroom. Thank you for joining me today. We're talking about why diversity and inclusion needs to be a CEO's top priority this year and beyond. So what are we going to share today? Three things. One, what is the current situation? Two, the new rules of diversity and inclusion. Things have changed quite dramatically in the last couple of years. And so I want to talk about why diversity and inclusion is relevant to you and your organization and specifically share the seven new rules of diversity and inclusion that you need to be aware of. I'm also going to be sharing with you some of the benefits of upping your game in this area within your company. And of course, along the way, I'm going to be giving you examples of what other leading companies are doing so that you can get some best practices under your belt. But first, I want to start by looking at some definitions. Let's look at workplace diversity. It's understanding, accepting, and valuing differences between people, including people of different races, ethnicities, gender, age, religion, disability, sexual orientation, and also looking at differences in education, personalities, skill sets, experiences, and knowledge bases. What is inclusion? Inclusion is a collaborative, supportive, respectful environment that increases the participation and contribution of all employees. So here's something really interesting. Diversity is perceived differently by different generations. Millennials, for instance, view workplace diversity as combining different backgrounds, experiences, perspectives. They believe that taking advantage of these differences is what leads to innovation. Gen Xs and Boomers, on the other hand, view workplace diversity as equal and fair representation regardless of demographics, without necessarily considering diversity's relationship with business results. So really putting diversity and inclusion together because they need to work hand in hand. It's like the left hand working with the right. Diversity and inclusion is a company's mission, strategies, and practices to support a diverse workplace and leverage the effects of diversity to achieve a competitive business advantage. So that's what we're talking about today. And I want to start by asking you this. On a scale of 1 to 10, with 1 being the worst and 10 being the best, I want you to write down where do you see your team in terms of how prepared they are to address diversity and inclusion on a day-to-day basis. What's that magic number? Are they terrible? Are they great? Are they somewhere in between? Where would you number yourself? That's your starting point for today. Do you have a number? Okay, great. What I'm going to do is tell you what's changed so that you can move that number up a couple of points or more. 
want to tell you how you can fill in the missing pieces. So whether you're just starting out and implementing a program, whether you haven't even considered it, you're like right at ground zero, or you've started offering some diversity inclusion training programs to your employees, and perhaps what you're doing isn't working, I'm going to share you the pieces that are missing so you can really fill those gaps so that you can be more impactful in your workplace. So what's the current situation? Diversity and inclusion now impacts brands, corporate purpose, their performance. And there are really three reasons that companies today are adopting these new workforce policies. One, it's ethical. It's just the right thing to do. Two, regulatory reasons. They've got to demonstrate compliance with anti-discrimination laws, etc. And then the third is economic. It's got to generate economic benefits that exceed the costs of implementation. So those are three reasons. And there are a lot of changes that are happening in the marketplace right now that are going to affect that. The changes in the product market, changes in the labor market, influence from government in terms of the impact of regulation and legislation, political pressure. And then there are social values, expectations from employees, from our customers on how companies should behave. The public is increasingly aware of this issue and employees are strongly expressing their views on this topic. So they're expecting their leaders to show up to lead the way, to define how the company listens to them at work. And they want to be working with companies that are at the leading edge of this. So in your ideal world, you know, we can quantify, we can determine exactly what the return on investment is going to be. Diversity and inclusion is a new area. So there are two ways of looking at it. There is the intangible benefit, the fact that it strengthens long-term value drivers. It allows companies to establish competitive edge by building a differentiated reputation. It allows companies to create value and strengthen human capital. And it's going to satisfy shareholders and or key stakeholders. So while there's no simple cause and effect relationship, these factors have a powerful indirect impact on your competitiveness over the long term. The more tangible, the more direct economic benefit is improved cash flow. So incorporating workforce diversity policies enables organizations to reduce costs. It potentially opens up new markets, new innovation, it improves performance in existing markets. In fact, a report reveals that companies in the top quartile for ethnic and racial diversity and management are 35% more likely to have financial returns above their industry mean. And those in the top quartile for gender diversity are 15% more likely to have returns above the industry mean. Those are some compelling numbers. So let's talk about now what has changed. As I said earlier, this area has changed quite dramatically in the last couple of years. And so what worked and what areas you're paying attention to or how you are viewing diversity and inclusion in the last couple of years may not necessarily be relevant to today. So I want to share what the seven new rules are so you can be aware of how you need to be approaching this topic in your company today. So the first rule is that diversity used to be a HR responsibility. It still is in some organizations. Historically, it's been driven by compliance and brand priorities. Today, diversity and inclusion needs to be a CEO level priority. It needs to be addressed 
by all levels of management. Now, companies often start by creating diversity and inclusion initiatives that are typically headed by HR. You may have that in your organization already. While these initiatives are a good place to start, they're not the ultimate answer. Companies can make broad policy changes or check the box by focusing on diversity or recruitment. But these actions don't necessarily lead to a more inclusive culture. And that's what we want. So if you look at examples of companies like Facebook, Salesforce, they're really publicly highlighting gender equality as a priority. And they're setting a strong example. After Salesforce performed a comprehensive analysis, they looked at about 17,000 employees. They identified a gender pay gap. And they ended up spending roughly $3 million to even out this disparity. So that's the kind of big change that's going on in the industry right now. The second big shift, the new rule, is that diversity used to be measured through demographic profiling of groups such as gender, race, nationality, age. Today, it needs to be measured in terms of recruitment in terms of how leaders are getting promoted, how they're getting paid, what kind of perks they're getting, and other talent practices. So when we start shifting how diversity is measured, the results, it stands to reason, are going to be much more impactful within the organization. The third rule is that diversity has been traditionally defined by gender, by race, by nationality, age, all the you know, usual demographic differences. Today, we need to widen our definition of diversity to broaden it, and it needs to include concepts like diversity of thought. So it's not just people, it's not just demographics, it's about how we think to introduce more diverse thinking into our organization. It could also include borrowing from other industries, for example, or other disciplines. Rule number four Diversity in traditional organizations, leaders have been promoted based on their merit and their experience. The new rule is that leaders must be promoted on their ability to lead inclusively. It is imperative that we're ensuring that our frontline supervisors and managers are actively promoting a culture of inclusion in the work environment that allows employees to be at their best Companies that are doing this, they understand that not all leaders have the skill to accomplish this objective, but they are supporting them. They are committed to supporting them with in-depth training. Rule number five, diversity and inclusion used to be thought of as an educational training program initiative. It's designed to instill awareness within the company. And then it's done and dusted. Everyone goes back to their desk and nothing really changes. The new rule in diversity and inclusion is that training has to go way beyond the classroom and it has to be actionable. It's got to involve assessing and de-biasing businesses because let's face it, we all have our biases, whether they're conscious or unconscious, that we bring to any interaction. So taking the time to really assess and de-bias us, de-bias employees is an important initiative in terms of supporting healthy employee interaction. Rule number six, the old way is that diversity and inclusion was thought of as separate to the company's innovation strategy. The new rule is that diversity and inclusion is critical to driving creation and execution of new products, services, 
and business processes. You know, and innovation becomes more of a key differentiator for the world's largest companies. These organizations increasingly see having a diverse and inclusive workforce as critical to driving creativity and innovation. For global companies, diversity is no longer simply a matter of creating this heterogeneous workforce, but using that workforce to innovate and give it a competitive edge in the marketplace. And as companies are competing on a global scale, diversity and inclusion frequently have to shift as different markets and different cultures have different definitions of what diversity means. And then finally, rule number seven, in the old economy, Businesses reported progress on diversity measures. That was their metric. In the new economy, the new rule is that leaders and managers are held accountable for creating an inclusive culture. And I want to give you an example. Procter and Gamble instituted a new compensation system within their company that really reinforced their commitment to diversity and inclusion. 10% of executive compensation is linked to diversity goals, which are evaluated as part of performance reviews. And the criteria included being an executive sponsor of an employee resource group, being a cross-cultural mentor, and recruitment and promotions in the executive's area of responsibility. So those are some ideas that you can possibly implement into your organization. And additionally, the stock option awards for the company's top officers are also linked to diversity results. So when you've got that kind of accountability in place in an organization, it really goes a long way to creating an inclusive culture. So those are the seven new rules. And if we don't embrace these changes, the cost can be pretty severe for your organization. And I want to give you one little example that can really kind of lay this home for you. When Google increased its paid maternity leave benefit from 12 weeks to 18 weeks, the rate at which new moms quit dropped by 50%. So Google's experience suggests that generous parental leave can reduce the hefty costs of employee turnover and alleviate some of the challenges the women are experiencing in tech and in other industries. So you can see how important it is for companies to address diversity and make it a core part of how they do business. Obviously, the reward for addressing this issue is quite substantial. And in fact, companies listed on the best workplaces for diversity list were found to enjoy 24% higher year-over-year revenue growth compared to their peers. Comcast coming in at number one, they came out at the top last year. One of the reasons that employees love working for this company and why they were voted number one as workplace best is because they said that the organization lets their employees, regardless of title or position, interact with senior and even executive leadership to provide feedback, be able to impact change. They felt the work environment promotes respect, diversity, and the right to speak up freely without fear of retaliation. They felt the companies got their back. So something so small can be so powerful and something that I invite you to look at. Where does your company fit into these ideals on a scale of one to 10 and where can you pick it up? I know one of the biggest challenges for you are, hey, Lena, I'm too busy. It's really challenging to fit diversity and inclusion, make it a priority within the company. But it's so important. 
And I want to leave you with a couple of ideas on how you can go about doing this so you can implement some changes right away. One is to make it a team effort. You know, not everything needs to fall on one person's hands. Go ahead and get insight, get feedback, get support from other members of senior management. Getting commitment from other people allows everyone to be involved. It encourages diversity within the organization and it really spearheads change. And then the second thing you can do is consider forming a committee within your organization. So now you've got more people's input, more people supporting the course, and more people taking action. So I hope this episode has served you. I'd love to offer for those of you that are interested in follow-up in this area and learning more about it, you can reach out to me via linapatellive.com and mention this episode. I put together a report of the most recent data and stats that you can share with upper management to get that greater support. So I'm happy to share that as a resource to help you internally. So reach out to me so that you can get that. And then for those of you that are launching or exploring implementing a diversity and inclusion strategy into your organization in the next 30 to 45 days or in the next two or three months, I would be delighted to schedule some time with you privately to provide a few additional insights that would be particularly helpful for you in this process. And if you've got a process in place already, maybe you want an assessment review to see if you're on track and perhaps identify any areas that you've missed, then again, feel free to reach out for that also. I hope this has served you. I hope it's given you some great ideas. If you've enjoyed it, please download it. Please share it with your team members so that it can trigger change within your organization. You can check out the show notes at lenapatellive.com. Of course, share your thoughts and any ideas you have for future episodes by leaving a review on iTunes. I'll see you in the sandbox.